Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Matt McManus, and this is the McMahon Podcast, episode three. And I am here with Sean F., ready to rock and roll on a Monday morning. How you doing today? Uh, woo! Yeah, buddy. <laughs> yeah, this is... This is what we do on Mondays in L.A. <laughs> it's a great way to start the week. I obviously take notes throughout the week that, of things that I want to possibly cover, handle, talk about, address. And last week was interesting for me because I found it hard to completely motivate. I woke up every morning with the best of intentions, and I felt this overwhelming pressure to deliver. And if you look around my apartment Right now, you just what you would see is lists everywhere. I mean, they're just I had to take the pile of lists that I had on the desk that we're talking at right now and stack them on top of one another. And something I read was that you can get overwhelmed by your lists. If you have OCD or ADHD like me, to an extent, you tend to go overboard. And I once had a friend, a girl that was over my house saying, I think you're just making the lists to avoid the lists. And that's not 100% true, but there was some truth to it. And I read something last week that was very, very insightful. And it said, don't make to-do lists, make I've done lists. Because you know the things that you need to do, right? The things <laughs> that you want to do aren't as important per se in the moment. But in regards to stress, the things that you need to do are the things that hang over your head. So I am starting to make done lists, right? Because the ideas of things I need to do are right up top. And I think there's a level of anxiety and avoidance to things that we all, all have, right? There are friends that I just kind of have been avoiding, not because we have beef or because there is some weird shit between us. There was just like, I let things go because life gets in the way, which is a horrible excuse for anything, unless you actually have a child in which literally life gets in the way. And then the other thing is death. Death can get in the way. Great excuses, perfect excuses, worth, worthy excuses. But life, it, life doesn't get in the way. You get in the way, I think. And it's weird when you speak and you're knowledgeable and you've read books on topics and then you have a moment of blur in your life. How to get past that, how to overcome that. And then you, you consider yourself a knowledgeable voice on said topics, but you, it's hard to copy and paste your own thoughts into your own brain sometimes. That's why they say psychiatrists sometimes are the most dysfunctional people personally. If you watch television shows, like there was one psychiatrist or therapist-based television show on HBO, I forget the name of it, but you would see behind the curtain of the therapist's life, and it was just as dysfunctional, if not more. Did you watch the television show White Lotus? I saw like a couple episodes, yeah. It's incredible. <laughs> it's a it's a satire. It's a statement on the times. There's obviously a lot of symbolism. There's a ton of heavy, heavy subtext in regards to the things that are actually being said and then contextually in the show itself. It's worth a watch because there's something in there for everybody if you haven't seen it. But it's an eye-opening show. It's obviously hilarious. And some of the best comedic and dramatic performances in recent years exist on that show. The Emmys were last night. I wonder if it won anything. Also, it just came out. So I don't know if something that just came out is eligible for like an Emmy that is a month or two after that show gets released. I kind of doubt it. I would assume that it gets accepted in the next year's run. But anyway. Yeah, what's the cutoff there? I don't know. I had an old manager, a friend of mine, reach out to me last night saying, are you watching the Emmys? And I said, I'm not. And I'm... I've kind of disassociated from award shows and I was the kind of guy that watched them all and would like think dream pontificate on being there one day on what that would feel like on watching all of those people dress up and kind of bring their 
work to fruition in some way, either by a nomination or by a win or even just in attendance. But I will say this. I worked at a lot of award shows as a caterer for a year or two when I first moved here. And I don't know if I've ever brought this up before, but it's an interesting experience. And I'll tell you why. I was at an after Oscar party in the Hollywood Hills at, I believe, Madonna's manager's house. I don't remember his name. But there was a large tent in the backyard, the size of maybe half a football field. So like, you know, 50 yards by 50 yards. And there were tables set up. There were maybe 15, 16 large tables. And then there was a stage with a DJ, etc. One thing that I've realized is that the cafeteria in your high school never really goes away. Never goes away. Because when I was passing hors d'oeuvres, there was the table with the cool kids, the Leonardo DiCaprio's with the Ashton Kutcher's, so on and so forth. And then there were the smart kids. There was the Paul Giamatti's hanging out with, uh, you know, at that time, Kevin Spacey was there. And as well as all of the other, you know, you would say really trained, classically smart er performers, people that kind of deliver kind of Philip Seymour Hoffman level performances. I was going to say, if he was there, yeah. Yeah, at that point, he probably was there, but it was a dark room. And then there were the geeks or the freaks, you know, the comedy nerds, you know, that comedian that wears the trucker hat with the glasses and Seth Rogen and all of those people were sitting at a table with one another. And obviously there was some intermingling, but it wasn't there. And then there were the rappers were sitting at a table with one another because they were friends, you know, all of them. But uh, the point is this in the middle of the room, which is a huge room in a tank top, sweaty as a motherfucker, Dancing by himself, breakdancing by himself, out of breath, with no concept that he's surrounded by peers of his, is Vin Diesel. <laughs> Vin Diesel hangs out by himself. I mean, I'm sure he talks to people, but in the moment that I interacted with him, he was by himself dancing and sweating in a tank top in the middle of the Hollywood Hills at an after Oscar party. Everyone was drinking, mingling, pitching shows, etc. And there was Vin. And I don't know if you guys all know the story of Vin, but Vin's from New York City. He comes from a, an artistic family, but, you know, he's from New York City. His accent, his vibe is very much real. Like, who, you, what you see is what you get. And I went up to him and I said, hey, Vin, would you like an hors d'oeuvre? And he said, no, I'm all right, man. I was like, listen, I don't know if you remember me. You probably don't because I was 14 at this time. But you were a doorman at the Tunnel, which is a nightclub, or at least it was a nightclub in New York City, for like younger kids to go and party and listen to hip-hop music. It was kind of an underground place, very dangerous. They had raves there. And Vin Diesel was a door guy there. He was the guy checking backpacks for paraphernalia, for, for anything, right, before you would go in to the nightclub. And I had a spray can in my backpack, a Krylon spray can, because... I was writing graffiti at that point in time. Also, there were some markers in there. And he was like, you can't bring that stuff in here. And I said to him, Vin, you took, you took my stuff out of my backpack. And he said, I can't believe you know that I was a bouncer at the tunnel. And I, and I, and I remembered it. you know. And we pounded at that point. I gave him a pound and I said, I got to get back to work. But I just want to say I really respect the fact that you're – look around you right now, Vin. There's like all these tables in the cafeteria and you have your own table right now and you could give a shit. And I, I just, I got a kick out of that. I, re I, I left that night with a newfound respect for Vin Diesel. Obviously, he's a multimillionaire. He's one of the executive producers of the Fast and the Furious franchise, which no one really foresaw that it would be like, what, 10, 11 movies deep at this point? Yeah. And it, 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 yeah, when you imagine Vin Diesel at a party, like I imagine him posted up at a table surrounded by chicks and just kind of being the strong, silent type. But there he is all by himself, dancing. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Yeah. So in, in a world where the cafeteria never really goes away, because if I was in an Oscar-winning film or I was invited to the Oscars, 
I, I don't know where I would sit. I know that like in my senior year of high school, I kind of became my school's Ferris Bueller. Because up until that point, I was hanging out with older kids. I skateboarded and I was into counterculture stuff, going to punk rock shows, going to raves in New York City where I would see Vin Diesel, so on and so forth. So my best friend Dave and I, because of skateboarding, were introduced to a crew of dudes that were much older than us that were you know, breaking into abandoned buildings and building skate parks and taking these young boys into the city to do things they shouldn't be doing on a normal night when they were telling their parents that they were sleeping over at one another's houses. And as these older kids graduated, my actual grade, my peers, they never really saw eye to eye with me. Like I said, I was bullied a lot when I was a kid and I went to a couple of different schools. I was placed in special education at one point and I rode on the small bus to a, a, a different school where I learned who I was. I learned how to learn because of all of the things that were going on in my head. And I became my own personal genius, honestly. Once I was, like, everyone can do it. Anyone who's told that you can't do something, there's a way in which that you can, and once that you learn that, you can rule the world. But when I was a senior myself and all the older kids graduated, I had lived a life that most kids hadn't lived at that point. I I had done things that 25-year-olds hadn't done. And I was older than my peers in my in my graduating class. And all of the clothes that I was wearing my freshman year were now being donned by my peers, the same people that would beat me up for wearing those clothes because I was ahead of the curve. Fashion's a crazy thing when you're a kid because your identity is attached to it. In a sense, the music that you once listened to or that you do listen to as a youth coincides with the clothing that you then wear, coincides with the people that you consort with or don't consort with, and the things that you do socially. At least that's the way it used to be. And I've noticed a blending of culture, a hybridizing of certain things. Like, if you were goth in high school, back when I was in high school, you would wear a choker and you would wear fishnet stockings or even a dress if you were a boy or a skirt if you were a boy. These were normal things for, for that little subculture. But now if you look at people or rappers, for example, like little Uzi Vert, he wears chokers, he wears dresses, so does Kid Cudi. These, the lines are, are really blurring within the cultures. And a lot of this honestly goes all the way back to the iPad, iPod. Because once you could put all that music on one device and shuffle it, it really presented the opportunity to like blend all that stuff effortlessly, which also ultimately arrived at Coachella. Because the Coachella, Coachella is the embodied personification or manifestation of what the iPod introduced, which is the, you know, the stew of all these different cultures kind of finding footing next to one another which is why in almost every pop song now there's a rap verse almost every single pop song has a rap verse attached to it for you know i mean look at taylor swift if taylor swift can make a song with kendrick lamar which is real and good like that wouldn't have happened 20 years ago Katy perry does a song that's popular she puts snoop dogg on it and snoop dogg's still relevant and snoop dogg was still relevant back in the day when i was in high school And so I was beat up for wearing these clothes. I was beat up for wearing these chokers or or whatnot. I tried everything. I tried every different subculture there was. And I talked about your tie-dye shirt when you showed up today. Uh, Sean's been rocking tie-dye shirts the last couple of times I've seen him in tie-dyes. If you walk up and down Melrose Avenue, which is kind of the showroom for youth culture today, you see a lot of people wearing tie-dye. I, I own a couple of new tie-dye things as well because I always liked it. I wore it in, in high school too because there was a moment where the Grateful Dead was popular. Again, not even the Grateful Dead. Like fashion in uh, revolving around the Grateful Dead. So these tie-dye shirts were popular back then. And I'm even looking for those vintage shirts right now because I like how things can come back around. But to bring this conversation back around, you spend a lot of time trying to figure out who you are. And by the time I was a senior in high school, I had, I had figured out who I was. And 
something really miraculous happened. I was 300 pounds. I was smoking entirely way too much pot. I got a job working at this place called Chevy's, which was a tiny little fast food shack. And I was smoking boatloads of weed in the back with my friend and then air frying. I'm not sorry, not air frying, deep frying everything. Beer batter, deep frying everything. Like I would beer batter a burger and deep fry it. And kids would come to watch me stoned making food and they would buy it from me. It was like a show that took place in my hometown. But then my senior year happened and the older kids that I was very much influenced by, if you watch that episode of Little Dickie's show where he has to kind of come to terms with the fact that the kids that he hung out with a lot weren't really hanging out with him because they liked him that much. They hung out with him because he was the guy that did crazy shit that they laughed at. And I kind of came to the realization that some of the people I kept around me kept me around for that reason, I guess. In watching that episode recently, I was really stunned by the truth there. And at the end of the episode, he ended up killing the childhood version of himself in the dressing room to his first show. Well, I mean, come on. The fact that Lil Dicky, like, I make rap music. And I was in a studio that my manager was running five, six years before my son was born. So like seven years ago. And this one producer was like, I just gave this kid little Dicky like three beats. And I was like, I love little Dicky because he had just come on the scene seven years ago. Right. So he's been at it for a long time. And the fact that he has a successful television show where he's uh, tackling things like mental health is incredible. But all of that wouldn't have been possible if the iPod didn't come out and there wasn't an opening of possibility when it came to music. But by the time I got to high school, I was 300, my senior year of high school, I was 300 pounds and I fell in love for the first time with like the hottest girl in my high school. And I realized that the summer was going to come around at some point and I was going to have to go to the beach with her and take my shirt off and that my boobs would be bigger than hers. Right. And let me just say something, Sean, if I ever repeat myself on this podcast, if I ever retell a story, just raise your hand because I have a lot of stories and I recycle them a lot and I tell them differently. So if I ever repeat myself, just just let me know. But anyway, I went to my football coach and well, the football coach in my high school. And I said, look, dude, I want to lose weight. I got bigger boobs than my girlfriend. And he said, all right. So I lost all this weight and I started dating this girl that was beautiful and all these kids that like really didn't pay that much attention to me. And if they did, they would just laugh. We're like, what's happening with Matt? Like, what's wait, he's with her. I was thinking the same shit, too. Like, how is this even possible? You know, and I went with my mom to Old Navy and I traded in my Django jeans for a pair of cargo shorts. Don't kill me. And I, and I started buying, you know, T-shirts that fit. And I started cutting my hair shorter and bef- and I got my ear pierced. And I just like, I shedded the skin that I wore for a while and I kind of was just me. There was no like, I'm trying to be anything other than the human in front of people. I, w- I wasn't trying to paint with, use my, bo- my, my clothing as a canvas. And I think it is actually, I'm, I am still doing that now, but I needed this moment to kind of reinvent myself. And I did. And, all, and I became Ferris Bueller that year. Everyone was like, oh, we didn't pay attention to Matt. Or like, what, Matt, Matt's on another level. And I will say this. For people that lose weight, lose a ton of weight, which I did in a calendar year, the revolutionary feeling that goes on when you, you almost don't know how to exist because you're a brand new person to yourself and other people. And it's really an interesting experience. I mean, it's something really, it's something really worth if you're unhealthily overweight and it is something that you can tackle and something that your friends and family will support and help you get through. uh, It is completely worth it. You know, but it is a slippery slope because once you lose all that weight, you ha- you most people have to maintain something called body dysmorphia, which is when you see yourself as different than you actually look. Like what you see in the mirror is different than the reality that you have, and that's something that I struggle with daily. Like my girlfriend or anyone 
will tell you that I look at my reflection all day long, every day. If there's a puddle on the floor, I look at my reflection. If you have a television in your living room, I look at my reflection. If your refrigerator is shiny, I look at my reflection. And that's not because I'm vain. It's just because I'm insecure. It's because I see myself differently. I'm just double checking to see if my double chin came back because I'm terrified that it will. But even if it did, and this is something that I've, I struggle with completely. When I first started doing comedy, I was Chris Farley in terms of my, you know, my sketch comedy group. In terms of my sketch comedy group, I was Chris Farley. I was the biggest guy on the stage. I was the guy who would take his shirt off to make people laugh. Jesus Christ, I used to go on TRL uh, with my shirt off. I would write, I love Jennifer Lopez on my stomach and stand out in Times Square. And Carson Daly would bring me up to the... Up to the, the the studio, and I and I would dance shirtless on TRL. Like I was a funny, overweight kid, and sometimes late at night, when I'm thinking about my career, I think, would I be further along if I stayed fat? Would would I have remained more myself if I stayed fat? And it's not true because I'm a, I'm a, I, I love myself for who I am and I'm very healthy and health conscious and it comes and goes in spurts. But someone said something to me once about living in Hollywood and being a creative. You see a lot of people getting addicted to working out and to being health conscious. And the simple answer to that or of why is because it's something you have control over. There's so much you don't have control over living in Los Angeles. So if you take control of your health, if you take control of your appearance, it, you feel like you're more in control of your, of your world. And that's also a slippery slope. And I think there's a lot to learn from reinventing yourself, whether that means changing how you dress, changing your hair, changing how much you weigh or don't weigh. Changing where you hang out and where you go yesterday. I had a great Sunday yesterday. I mean, I just did. Sundays are important to me. I worked every Sunday for like the last five years. It's only in like the last year that I haven't worked Sundays. And so I really try and soak them up. I wake up with my son because he sleeps over on Sunday, Saturday night. I have a seven-year-old son. I know I've spoken about this at, uh, at brief here, but we will go into parenting more in each episode. But I have a seven-year-old son. And he's the best. And we wake up here on Saturday, uh, Sunday mornings and we go to the AM PM that's up the block and get coffee and a donut. And we walk to the park and we drink our coffees and we eat our donut and we talk and we play and we play and we, we play tag with one another. And then I drop him back off in Silver Lake where his mother lives. And yesterday I, I did a hike in Griffith Park after that. And then I met up with my buddy and I went to a brewery in downtown Los Angeles I met a guy when I first moved here who's in his late 50s now, but he was in his late 40s when I moved here. And he's like my best friend out here. His name is JP. And he is the kind of guy that when you're driving around with him, he'll be like, oh man, in 1999, this happened on this corner. Or like when you drive past a building, he'll be like, yo, I dated a girl that lived up at that balcony. Let me tell you about some of those nights. Like the guy's just, he was... Check this out. Before there was Photoshop, he was the guy whose body was on the VHS tape with like Mel Gibson on his head. <laughs> right? So like if there was like a shirtless like crazy action movie, he was like the body on top of some of these celebrities' heads. Wasn't always like the biggest celebrities, but he was that he was a model and he was an actor. He did soap operas and stuff like that. And then he got into events. He's had a lot of ups and downs, and and he has been my spirit animal, my tour guide. My he would hate that I say this, but he's a very much a father figure to me out here because well, we care about each other. He cares about me, and he cares about my son. But I met up with him yesterday, and getting a beer with this guy on a Sunday is one of the best things I've ever had the opportunity to do because we just like getting a beer and shooting the shit. And it's little things like that that keep you sane. You know? Agreed. It's just, it, I'm not the most complex person. I know it sounds like I have a lot of thoughts going on up in my head, but what it, what, what it boils down to, man, I just like, I like a buddy. I like a beer. I like my family. 
I like hats. I like sneakers. I like Batman. I love Batman. <laughs> right. I love my girlfriend. I love learning about myself. I love Los Angeles. And I really got a chance to like I soak it up yesterday. I finished that beer and those tacos with my friend. And then uh, I came back home. I took a shower. I fed my cat. I took an Uber up to Franklin Village. I sat at Birds reading a book. And then my girlfriend picked me up and we got Chris and Eddie's, which is the best slider cheeseburgers in town. They were a shack in Hollywood, not a shack, but they were just like on the street making cheeseburgers all throughout the pandemic. And I don't know how they did it, but God bless them. They opened up a store on Sunset Boulevard. It's called Chris and Eddie's. Get your buns over to Chris and Eddie's. They play hip hop, 80s and 90s music inside. It's all like black lights. The guys, Chris and Eddie, who own, run, operate this place as well as their employees are like the nicest dudes ever. The vibe in there is perfect. Like, And it's the best burger in town right now. So if you are bored, hungry, anything, go to Chris and Eddie's. But we went to Chris and Eddie's and got sliders and french fries and brought it back here and ate it. It was a Sunday. And I think you need a good Sunday every once in a while. And I haven't had one in a minute because I've kind of been busy and focused and I have a lot going on professionally that's just, to bring this conversation full circle, life got in the way, which is an excuse. And that's something I wanted to talk about in this episode is the concept of living and the concept of making a living. Like making, when someone says I'm making a living, that means that they are working and making money that allows them to to live so to speak but but when you're making a living like when you're in the act of making your living you're not unless you're lucky really living and i think that's one thing we get lost in los angeles with we stop living a little bit so you have to leave town you got to go to big bear you got to even just go to the beach jump in the water like you can actually do a fair amount of good living here in Los Angeles. I think you just get lost in the shuffle. I have many times over. I was reading journal entries of mine from like 2015 earlier today to think about th things to talk about during this episode. And I was writing down the same shit, like spend time living, spend time meditating so you can live better, etc. And it's funny, these like mantras that you develop as a man as or as a woman that you sometimes forget to actually even engage or incorporate. And then, you know, you got to survive. So living means survival, right? And I think we put, too, we put too much of an emphasis on that. And then we attach our dreams to our survival. And then before you know it, you go down this rabbit hole of self-doubt and thinking that things aren't going to come to fruition. And then you start, you know, having anxiety about the future. You just got to be, man. You just got to be. Trust the process. Move forward with faith. Yeah. You will have those moments where, you, you know, you question yourself, but you can't, you can't linger on it too long. No, you can, you cannot. Um, and here's the other thing I want to talk about. I took a bag of Takis and smashed them to smithereens. And I made it a dust out of those Takis. They were like the spicy lime Takis. And then I took egg and scrambled the Takis into the egg with cheddar cheese. Then I scooped out a bagel, right? So it was just the, in, the, the exterior of the bagel. And I poured the Takis and the cheese and the egg into the bagel and then i put it into my air fryer for 10 minutes and let me tell you what came out magic okay because it was crunchy it was spicy it had texture it was cheesy it was eggy it was perfect if you haven't gotten yourself an air fryer in 2021 post pandemic then you ain't living my friend if you like wings if you're from the northeast and you've been living in los angeles with not having the availability of getting 
quality wings, you can make them in your house. You get wings. You put them in there. 380 for five minutes. Pull them out. Shake. 380 for five minutes. Pull them out. Shake. Do that again. Then you put it at 400 Five minutes, and they're as crispy as they need to be. You take Frank's Red Hot, you put it on the stove with butter, cayenne pepper, honey, and you let that simmer for a short period of time, and then you get a big bowl. You pour the sauce in there, you pour the, you put the chicken in there, and you shake them motherfuckers up. And guess what? You dip that in Marie's Blue Cheese dressing. Anything else is a sin. And you can have... Restaurant style quality wings in your living room. So if you have an extra hundred to one hundred and fifty dollars burning a hole in your pocket, and even if you don't, fight to get that money so you can get yourself an air fryer because it has changed my life. Like today, if you look at my list of things I need to get at the store, wings is number one. <laughs> wings is number one, right? I need wings in my life. My dad got me addicted to wings when I was a kid. Every Saturday, he'd go get a beer with me at J.J. Doodles, which was this bar in Bayshore, New York, that is now called the Nutty Irishman, where I would go and grind up on other 18-year-old people when on a dance floor when I was 18 years old. But on a Saturday morning... My dad would take me there, and it was usually just him and I there. We were like the first people there. And he would get himself a Paul Anner half of Weissen and an order of wings. And I would have one or two wings. I wasn't in love with them back then, but I realized how much I loved them over time, right? But I realized something now. Oh, and this is really, this is great because this is going to bring me to a thought that I definitely wanted to cover in this episode. He, he would bring me there, and this place had a smell. Smelled like a bar, smelled like a pub, but it smelled like the night before was wild. Right? When I go to places now and I smell that smell, I'm like, oh man, shit got wild here last night. And you and you could you could smell the beer on the floor, the the the, the urinal cakes coming out of the bathroom, the BO from the wait staff. You could, you know, you could still kind of hear the ringing bass from the night before when they were playing whatever songs they were playing. And I love that feeling. I love that smell. I love the smell of fun. Whatever that, and whatever shape that takes. You know, a barbecue smells like fun. If you smell, if you're driving down the street and you smell a barbecue in someone's backyard, that smells like fun. Uh, they should need to make a barbecue cologne. I would wear that right now. I would wear that everywhere. Are you is someone is someone grilling some burgers and dogs in here right now? Yeah, on my neck, bitch. <laughs> um, it's wood chips and sauce right woo! there. Mesquite, baby. <laughs> you got a bag. You got a bowl of chips on the table. Salt and vinegar, or plain or barbecue. Salt and vinegar chips are the best. If you want a good lunch, get yourself a bagel lightly toasted with vegetable cream cheese and just put a couple salt and vinegar potato chips on there and have a good afternoon. Um, but this is what I wanted to get to. You know, when you're a kid, and I don't know how you grew up, Sean. I know a little bit about your youth. But you know, like when you're a kid and you go to bed or you're told to go to bed, especially in the summertime when the sun is still up. So the sun is still up. My son's bedtime roughly 830 at night. So in the summertime, the sun's not down yet at that point. It really doesn't officially go down until like 9 p.m. On the West Coast, it's like 9.15. But I remember thinking, because my dad is a fun guy, was a fun guy, and so was my mom, is my mom, that they would put us all to bed. There were four of us. And this was before they got divorced. But the sounds that would come from downstairs, it sounded like a goddamn carnival. I was like... What are, are they doing flips down there? What, did they invite the, the coolest people in the world to like hang out down there? They were listening to like, you know, Led Zeppelin or CCR. And I didn't know what the names of those bands were at that point. But when I hear that music now, I'm reminded of this, the idea of what the fun downstairs sounded like. And then you go on vacation as a kid. I used to do this. And you'd go to like a beach town or you would go somewhere with your family. 
And I would have this thought, even as a child, what's the fun stuff happening here? Where are the movers and shakers? Where's the wild party in the hills? What, where's the, where are the, where are the cougars hanging out? <laughs> right? I, 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 where, where's the thing that I need to be at? Like I would, I would just imagine because of the stuff that happened at night when my parents went to bed, that when I went on vacation, that there was stuff like that happening everywhere. Where are the cool people hanging out? I guess these were the seeds that built FOMO. Right. And I had this realization on a vacation with my son in a town called Walla Walla, Washington, a town so nice they named it twice. I was hanging out with my childhood best friend and his wife and some of his friends from that part of the country, all movers and shakers, all multicultural, all extremely intelligent and cool, knowledgeable, fun people, people I found a, a secret water park with in the middle of nowhere, people that made plans to go to the coolest restaurants on a holiday weekend. And I'm sitting there thinking, I'm sitting next to my son, next to my friends at a restaurant. Like the last day we were there, a couple, everyone got old fashions and I had this realization. I'm like, I'm the cool thing. I'm the cool thing. We're the cool thing. This is the cool thing. And I think that's what I want my listeners to understand that you can, you are, we are the cool thing where you go. Like I did some psychedelics in the desert this summer, which I do about once, maybe twice a year. That's a whole other thing we can get into, and we will get into. But I was walking around this desert party, thinking, all right, where's the cool thing that I need to find? Where's the thing that I, like, where's the Hunter Thompson? Where's the Ken Kesey? Where's the Dave Matthews? That's a joke. <laughs> situation here. And I and I and a and a thought washed over me. I'm that thing. You don't need to find it. Like you're there. And and I have been calm with this knowledge that oh, like where I go, that's the cool thing. Not just because it's me, but because I've done the work and I deserve access to the moment in which I believe is the place I'm meant to be. Does that make any sense? Yeah, that's a metaphor you can apply to a lot of things. You know, it's, it's, it's really good. You know, a lot of people are looking for happiness externally and that you can apply it to like, no, the happiness is in you. You bring it with you, you know? I'm the cool thing. I'm the cool thing that's happening here. I'm the party in the hills. I'm the secret door you have to knock on with a password to get into. I don't need to seek with FOMO the coolest thing anymore because I'm the coolest thing anywhere I go. And I don't really even necessarily mean Fonzie cool from Happy Days. I don't necessarily mean Dylan McKay from 90210 cool. I mean, the best thing you can do is be yourself in any situation. And if you are just knowledgeable that you've done the work to deserve to be at the right place at the right time, you'll stop seeking with a sense of, of entitlement. Like I just like you know like you you'll 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 start sitting with a sense of calm, and that's and that's a really really cool place that I've arrived at, and so yeah I'm the that's one thought that I came up with that I wrote down to to mention in this episode is that I am the cool thing that happens here, and so are you. you yeah, that's it. So now when you show up at a party or event, you don't say what cool things going on you say the cool has arrived <laughs> exactly and another thing that i've realized i went to a child's birthday party recently with my son and there were i was the only the, i was the only dad there and there was a, a lot of women around and i and i adore women but there was this woman that was talking a lot 
And I was always, and I'm obviously I have a podcast, so I'm talking a lot. So it kind of defeats the purpose of my point that I'm about to make. But she was talking a lot about a lot of things. Like I brought up, someone brought up politics and she just talked about Afghanistan. And she went on this thing. Like she's like an encyclopedia of knowledge. And I could tell she, and because I have been this person, she was come, she was talking so much out of a place of nervousness and insecurity. She felt the need to have her voice heard about any topic and command and control the narrative of these conversations of about these 10 people, including myself. And I've learned this through like pitch meetings in Hollywood. You don't, some people just talk because they feel like they should be talking. And most of the time, the less you say, the better. And so I'm very economical with what I do in public now. I don't feel the need to interject with everything. It, to be honest with you, I'm more quiet now than I've ever been, which is if the... Matt from 10 years ago heard me say that he'd be like whatever happened to you man like you're not yourself anymore no I'm more myself I'm just more thoughtful with the things that come out of my mouth I'm not always perfect I do make mistakes but I do say and do less and in doing that I believe that I'm actually doing more because it condenses what I offer into tangible bites rather than I, I, I remember people saying I just don't like Matt like people either love me or hate me. There's really no in between. There's and my girlfriend will tell you the same. Everyone will tell you that. People either when they first meet me will say I just don't like that guy, or they say Wow, that guy's great. There's no in between, and I, I've come to terms with that fact. So I know that's the ratio I'm working with. That when I walk into a room, I'm either gonna be liked or not liked. But I like myself, and I'm the coolest thing in the room. So. I say and do less in doing that. I'm actually doing more and I'm more thoughtful and I'm not trying to commandeer the room, you know, but I will say this. I was in a business meeting recently. It was a zoom meeting and there was a need to develop conversation with new people in this meeting so that, cause we were going to be potentially working together for the foreseeable future. One of them was going to be my future boss is my future boss is my boss. <laughs> And it, 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 you could sense that it was a little awkward at first. And this is, I, I, can't, I, I can't believe I'm giving this away, but it's worth it. It is starting the conversation with what's your favorite sandwich? And everyone has one. Everyone has a favorite sandwich. And it tells you a lot about where you grew up. It tells you a lot about your tastes. And it, there's there's room to debate cheeses you know and you know if and and also everyone has different answers for different times of year i think i'm get, in the dead of winter in new york city i'm going to get the godfather which is garlic bread with roast beef heated up with melted provolone cheese and fried onions on top with a little horseradish. Done, right? And you dip that in au jus, which is, you know, what you would get with a steak. It's a French dip on steroids. What up? <laughs> wow. What's your favorite sandwich? Ah. I've been ordering the uh the Club Supreme from Jersey Mike's, but I get the peppered ham. Okay. And then I I add their Red pepper relish, which is really good. You know what? You want to know a story? I've never been to Jersey Mike's. Never nah. been? Nah. I just, I, I, it was like no one's ever been like, come with me to Jersey Mike's. And I, I, I love sandwiches, so you would think that I would go. I, I can't eat Subway anymore. Uh, Why? It's just because it's boring? It, it, yeah, it just doesn't compare. The bread doesn't compare. And then the fact that they fresh slice the meat right there all in front of you just makes oh, they it... Oh, fresh slice the meat? Oh, yeah. It's a world of difference. Holy As cow. As opposed to like Subway, they have it stacked on paper, you know, in the in the fridge and they just pull the meat out. But no, they pull out a giant ham and they slice it and then they pull out the big ass cheese and slice it. And it's and then they do Mike's way, which is oil and vinegar, right? And and seasoning. And it's just yeah, I I can't have Subway ever again. Wow, yeah, I can see why. You know, yeah, I, I no one's ever. And that's funny. It's one of those things that slipped through the cracks. I think 
in existing things like that happen. Like TV shows just slipped through the cracks for me. Like there were years where I just didn't watch television. I actually don't watch that much television. It's just kind of a thing I, I've uh, you know when I was a, when I was your age living in New York City, I didn't have a television because I didn't have time to watch television. I had three jobs, and I watch a lot of YouTube because I have a seven year old and he's obsessed with Minecraft and watching people other people play Minecraft. Who'd have thought that'd be such a big industry, watching other people play video games? Oh, if you, it, it, honestly, it's one of those things that, like, if you took me aside in 1995 when, or 6 when Mario 64 came out, which is my favorite video game, <laughs> and said, you know, one day people will be obsessed with watching other people play video games. I mean, there's this guy, what's his name? I mean, there's tons of these, like, YouTube, YouTube. Thinking of Ninja? Yeah, the Ninja. There's, um, I think his name's Spencer. Mm. I forget his name exactly. There's Spider Wolf. Do you know who Spider Wolf is? It's, it's this beautiful young lady. Oh, she, yeah, yeah. She doesn't just do Minecraft videos. She also like... Like reaction stuff. Rea yeah, there's lots of stuff. There's this guy named Robbie with blue hair who's got a really high-pitched voice who just like tries hacks. That's another huge market, life hacks. Yeah. how to do things easier and kids are making millions of dollars doing life hacks on YouTube. I was one of the first personalities on YouTube with my character, the Chad, and I should have kept up with that guy, but it ultimately it ended and brought me to Los Angeles. So it, it did serve a purpose and still very much does, but I'd, I'd be very curious to see, cause there was about 10 of us, like 10 original YouTube stars, like in the first two years of YouTube, it was like 10 of us. And we were all really tight. And YouTube was so insular and very tiny. And that now it is, you know, it's huge. Google owns it. And did Google own it at first? I don't know. I feel like it's in the last five years or yeah. so, maybe. Man, Google owns everything. <laughs> Think about this. I can hit a button on my phone and a stranger picks me up and takes me where I need to go. I can search on my phone and order an outfit that I need for a wedding that I'm going to. And it can arrive today if I really want it to. I can hit a button on my phone and someone can come and clean my house and groom my cat. I can hit a button on my phone and listen to any song that has ever existed or watch any movie that's ever been filmed on my phone. You can send a man to the moon and some of the men that allowed some of those other actions to actually take place are also themselves now going to the moon because they've made so much money in technology that leaving the world is the only next option. Dating. Dating. I can, you can meet the, the woman or man of, of your dreams or even of just for the evening, you know, you, if, if, literally. I went on Bumble the first time I ever signed on to Bumble years ago, and I wrote, I think I mentioned this in one of the other episodes, I'm not here for hookups. I'm here to hook up household appliances, <laughs> Washing machines, dishwashers, television, you need my handiwork, you let me know. It was a joke. I didn't think anyone would embrace it. But by 1 o'clock that afternoon, I was hanging picture frames in someone's house. <laughs> and they asked me what I wanted for payment, and I said a Diet Coke and a tuna melt. And both of those things were waiting for me there. Mm, that's another key to the city. If you write that in your dating profile, you will certainly meet some people. But <laughs> you can do all those things I just mentioned. All of them. And there's some really intricate, weird stuff there. But they can't make condoms feel better. <laughs> you can do all that stuff, right? But condoms still feel the same. And I, it's like, man, we're, we're really focusing on the wrong things here. You know what I mean? That, that makes me think. I was just thinking recently, like, how the technology of tires has stayed the same for so long. Like, we still don't <laughs> have tires that don't puncture yet. Like, yeah, I remember years ago seeing YouTube videos that would go viral of these like spoked tires and they just never seemed to hit the market. I don't know if they were too expensive or I think that, you know, I mean, the electric car was something that was created many moons ago. 
and th- these gas companies put a dead stop to it. There's a documentary called The Death of the Electric Car, I believe. The name of it is that. And they were just put, they were putting into this. There are markets that have changed. Like, look at, look, man, I just read something on Reddit that said that they, they are testing basically a cure for AIDS right now. I don't know the validity of it. I don't know if it's how real it or, or valid it is. And I, I had an uncle pass away from AIDS. I have a family member that has AIDS right now. AIDS is something that I know very much the reality of. And understand that it's not what it used to be. It's not a death sentence anymore because they have medications for it. But there is apparently some kind of cure for it. It's taken... I mean, there was a virus that came out 18 months ago, or probably before that, that they fucking skyrocket the vaccine to. Skyrocket. Fast. Fastest, probably the fastest vaccine release ever. But people have been dying from AIDS for 20 plus years. It is a national tragedy. It's a horrible thing. But because there were so many derogatory things attached to the virus, that I, I, you know, it was put on the back burner. And now that, you know, the narrative is shifting slightly around some of those things. I feel as though it's, you know, now they're, now the medical fields, sure, there's been billions of dollars that have gone into it, foundations and such. I, I know that. I'm not, I'm not saying that there wasn't. But I just think that the people in power focus on the things that will keep them in power. And just like the electric car was shut down, you know, just like tires, like <laughs> spoked tires were probably shut down. Just like the fact that it's taken them 20 plus years to, co- to come up with a cure for AIDS, if that is indeed a real thing, you know? Yeah, not, not, not always the most effective thing is going to win the market. It's just what's going to make the, the most money, you know? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> treating, treating an illness as opposed to fixing it, right, is, is more... Effective. profitable profitable in the yeah. long in the long run you know so yeah they want tires to pop so you'll buy more <laughs> yeah man there's a huge market for it a huge huge market this is the last thing we may or may not keep this in the episode but i feel the need to bring it up the dc universe okay speaking of batman yeah batman so it's obvious that marvel has done a fine job, a better job at crafting a universe over a 10-year period of time, multiple characters, storylines, subplots, all converge, converged beautifully in Endgame, and was, it, was seem, it was seamless and unbelievable. Obviously, the DC Universe, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, Green Lantern, etc. You know, they tried to fast-track that universe way too fast and they fumbled the ball or Zack Snyder fumbled the ball. But it all boils down to, I, I developed this rant. I said this rant to my girlfriend the other day. She was like, well, what, what, what's going on with the DC universe? I'm like, basically Heath Ledger died and that fucked everything up. You know, rest in peace, Heath Ledger. Love you, buddy. But he, him passing away, there was a plan I think put in place. The third Batman movie was supposed to be not Bane, but it was supposed to be the Joker on trial for the crimes that he had committed against Gotham City. And with him being locked up and Arkham kind of getting let loose slightly in some way, shape, or form, other villains came to fruition that were very much a part of the Batman mythology. That movie never happened because Heath Ledger died and Christopher Nolan's plan for the universe was sidetracked and they had to create the storyline with Bane and Catwoman and so on and so forth. But that movie, the third Batman movie, The Dark Knight Rises, takes place eight minutes after The Dark Knight. Eight years after The Dark Knight. So Batman had just kind of really become Batman in the second Batman movie, The Dark Knight. And then he went into hiding for eight years. One, because he had an injury and B, because people were looking for him because he was a vigilante. So, And three, he had locked up most of Gotham's criminals at that point. Most of them. At least the gangsters, most of the gangsters. So there really wasn't much more for him to do based on what had taken place, but eight years had gone by, and that's when the next movie starts. Bane comes into the picture, 
who's a product of Ra's al Ghul's as well, which is how Batman was trained by the League of Shadows. And that whole movie is just fumbled as well because Batman was not Batman for eight years and he comes back for a brief period of time, gets his back broken, and then comes back for another brief period of time to save Gotham and then to either die or to stop being Bruce Wayne and Batman and live on an island somewhere with Catwoman, which is like either imaginary at the end of the movie or not. We're left wondering. And then obviously Robin comes into the picture and Joseph Gordon-Levitt finds himself in the Batcave. That's a real, that, it ended all right in that sense that it would have been cool to see Joseph Gordon-Levitt become Batman or Nightwing, so on and so forth. But the DC Universe was just messed up after that. They should have, they should have figured out a way to keep going with Christopher Nolan's original vision because then Superman came around and that movie wasn't great, but Christopher Nolan executive produced it. And then they started doing, you know, one-off movies. The Aquaman movie is great, but it's kind of more of like a Marvel movie. It's more of a comic book movie. There's more magical realism involved than anything else. And but Batman was grounded in reality. Superman was sort of grounded in reality. But, you know, the Superman movie was too long, too convoluted. It was an origin story that really wasn't that accurate or even delivering what Superman was. And there was no levity to it. Superman is also a beacon of hope and light. And even humor, in a sense. And they didn't deliver that. So I think, basically, DC has been doing a piss-poor job for quite some time. But Zack Snyder re-released his Justice League movie. It is pretty good, actually. It does really bring a lot of my concerns to the table and address them. I'm looking forward to seeing where it goes. There is a lot going on in the universe as it stands right now. But basically, it really would have been nice to see what would have happened if Heath Ledger had stayed alive and... Um, Obviously, he didn't, and but his performance as the Joker is the best, will remain the best, and so on and so forth. But if you're ever questioning why it is where it is cinematically, it's because they lost the anchor, which was Heath Ledger. That's all there is to it. Do you have any thoughts about the upcoming one with... Yeah. With... Uh the Twilight dude, <laughs> what's his name? Robert Pattinson. Robert, yeah. yeah. If you watch Robert Pattinson, I mean, he made a movie called Good Time where he plays like this gangster in New York. Well, this like, I guess you could say delinquent in New York with yeah. his brother. And if you even watch Tenet, I mean, the guy's very versatile. The guy's actually the, the Lighthouse. Did you check that out? I haven't yeah. seen the Lighthouse. <sighs> intense <laughs> uh, it's intense all right i'll watch that yeah he's great at what he does i'm excited to see what he brings to the table and I'm, i've read almost every batman comic book and so there's a character named hush that is in the comics that i believe is also in this movie they're saying it's the riddler it also could be the riddler they could make a you know a, a character that is basically the both of those characters at the same time oh uh, yeah i'm interested in seeing what they do anyone's vision going to gotham city to me is like going to church you know, or pizza. Yes, there is shitty pizza out there, but it's still pizza at the end of the day. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I'm very interested. And I, and I do think that this director has done some interesting things and I'm all for it. I'm all that's, for our new vision of Gotham city. That's what I was going to say. Another thing that gives me hope is the, the director. Cause he did the third planet of the apes, which was my favorite. It was so dang good. It was so. good. And I think he also did a movie. I could be wrong called brick which was like a noir movie. That's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, right? Yeah, I think so. I think so. Yeah. Or Elijah Wood. No, yeah, it's Joseph Gordon-Levitt, yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, so, yeah, I'm interested to see what happens with it, and I'm excited. We have six months until the new movie comes out, and every year a Batman movie comes out is always a good year for me personally. So I'm looking forward to 2022 and Batman, and I think we all should be. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Well, ladies and gentlemen, this is what we covered on this episode. I'm the cool shit that's happening here, making a living, <laughs> Batman, air frying, and so and a lot of and Vin Diesel. We covered Vin Diesel. So <laughs> thank you for joining us today again on the third episode of McMahem the Podcast. Once again, I am Matt McManus, and I will be back to tell you what I think about some cool shit. <laughs> I guess we can also say we have an email up now. So uh, if you if you want to send Matt questions or stories or just anything to for, for us to share on the podcast, make mayhem podcast at gmail.com. So thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen. We will see you next week. Okay, bye.